So, let's take a moment. I want to invite you to do something. I want you to just simply, wherever you are, is to, if you feel comfortable, just put your hands, palms up, as an act of surrender and openness to receiving from the Holy Spirit. And allow me to pray for you. So, Father, we lift our hands to you. And we ask you to perform open heart surgery in this place this morning. We thank you that you are an amazing God and you do something amazing in our hearts this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've left who you left with us, who leads us in truth, who teaches us, who clarifies your word for us, who leads us to repentance and gives us encouragement. So, Holy Spirit, we love you and we pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would impress upon our hearts what you know we need. Individually and corporately, God, we want to hear from you. And so we're not here just to be here, but we're here to experience you, to know you, and to hear you. So I pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions of the day or the week ahead or the anxieties and fears we come and bring with us into this room. And I pray that you would enable us to hear from you. So soften our hearts, give us ears to hear, and we pray and do all these things for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I want to share my heart with you as it is my last Sunday before I begin a sabbatical. Erwin McManus said this, he said, the future is waiting inside your imagination. The future is waiting inside your imagination. Now think about that for a moment. The future is waiting inside our imagination. So deep down inside of every one of us is this need to create, to be a part of a process that brings the world something beautiful, something good and true in order to allow our souls to come to life. And it's not the only quality of the ingredients that we use to build our lives that matter, but we all care about the process that we use as well. It's kind of like cooking. I love to cook. And the time that you craft that favorite dish, I don't know what your favorite dish is. My grandchildren seem to think it's my bacon and eggs. But you always want to make it a little bit better and better, whether you add paprika or a little bit more salt or a little bit more garlic. But in the same way, God has something to say about how we craft our lives. And so to me, imagination, future, and vision all go hand in hand. And vision has been called um, hope with a blueprint. Vision is what an inventor has when he or she thinks outside the box to create something new. Vision is what a mother has as she looks at her newborn baby and imagines all that that child could grow up to be. And so at Soul Sanctuary, we started... It started somewhere, I have to be honest, in my imagination. I never ever thought it would be possible that this place that we call Soul Sanctuary would even be a real thing. 
And that vision carried over into a reality because that vision went from me to others who embraced it 19 years ago. And so we started this gathering of people together and our vision for Soul Sanctuary, as you can see on the screen, is to be a community of spiritual refuge for all people. A community based in the grace of God to facilitate repair for those who are hurting in all areas of life. A community that rejuvenates, that equips, that empowers people to fulfill their God-given destiny. Or very simply put, refuge, repair, and rejuvenation. So here at Seoul, we acknowledge the fact that all of us are on a spiritual journey. We all are. Not everybody's on the same path. And so we desire to create this non-threatening environment that will help people know Jesus, but also know each other in true community. It also will help people grow in their relationship with Jesus and with others, and then eventually that we would go and serve Jesus and others. And so Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. That's a great verse. See, every person in the local church, every person in earshot of my voice this morning, even if you're watching on, online, needs to realize that they have a significant part to play in God's big picture. Our lives are not our own. Our purpose is about this lost and dying world that we find ourselves in. It's not about us. But rather, there is a relationship component to the whole meaning of existence. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other are primary. Let me say it like this. There is absolutely nothing more valuable on earth to God than the church. The church is imperfect. <laughs> we know that. But it's the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. And last week you demonstrated with your response to the meeting of the need of a Ukrainian woman who came to Seoul for her first time. Hang on. As you know, before coming, she was informed that her husband was killed. And you stepped up. So not only have we covered her travel costs to Kiev and back, there was an extra that we will be paying over and above to help her and her son be relocated. You see, her son and her just moved into an apartment and we found out that they're sleeping on air mattresses. So, even though I'm leaving, Pastor Joanne, our care pastor, will be in charge of providing new beds, new bedding, along with a Numerous other necessary household items they need because of your generosity.
you guys are amazing. Your generosity is outstanding. And you are practicing what we preach as a church. We grieve with those who grieve. And you have responded to the needs when placed, when placed before us. I love this church. I love this church. So, here at Seoul, we're all about this thing called repair. And it's a place for people to come and find sanctuary. So sanctuary means a place for worship and a place of refuge and protection. And that's the expression of our vision, if you did not know this. It's an expression of our vision and our dream to be a place where both believers and non-believers can gather together. Where truth will be sought. Where creativity and innovation will be fostered. Where sharing the love of Jesus will be our great cause. Where the diversity, multi-ethnicity is embraced. Where authenticity will be pursued. And where the love and grace of Christ will be experienced by all. And God has called you to be a piece of this puzzle that we call soul sanctuary. That's why you're here. Oh, I'm here because of Mother's Day. No, 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 no. No, God's got his fingerprint on you. God's got his fingerprint on you. You think about that for a minute. So refuge is big here. Many times people walk through those doors and they're done. Some of them are done with life. Some of them are done with church. Some of them are done with faith and religion. Some of them are done with family. And they come and the worship happens. And what do they do? They weep. They cry. Their load is just too heavy. They walk in and they sit and they just cry. That's why the lights are off. You wouldn't believe how many times I've had people walk up. Can you just turn on the lights? Use a flashlight. You have a phone, right? And that's what refuge is about. We gather weekly for this just one reason. That people can come and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit that begins to minister to their hearts in, right here in this place. And it causes an emotive response. And it's interesting that we live in a world that appears to be pulling away from attending church. Oh, Jerry, I don't need to... Go to church to be a Christian. I know that. And it's no difference than standing in a garage makes you a car. I get it. But something boggles my mind. Because as you read the scriptures. We see that God's favor rests on the church. Not the building. Us the people. His favor rests on the church. The corporate gathering of the believers. When we come together. Not just a building. But when we are gathered together to worship him. To encourage each other. God is there. God is glorified. How many of you over a simple iced coffee. Feel encouraged this morning. <laughs> yeah exactly. It sounds stupid. But that's the whole point. Well you got coffee break in the middle of church. Yeah so that you can talk. And meet other people. We call it community. This is part of who we are. 
for thousands of people in our culture. When you say Christian, they have this picture of a narrow-minded bigot with a picket sign, right? That wants to do verbal bashing or judging or condemnation of people. And that's unacceptable. Those, it's unacceptable to have those words attached to Jesus. And so we here at Seoul dream of a church where we can hopefully dust that junk off and get at the real Jesus of the scriptures who comes to each of us and he keeps insisting that God loves you exactly as you are. Think about what's on the screen in front of you. He loves you exactly as you are. But he loves us so much that he will not let us stay as we are. Can you get that up on? I thought I had that written out. Is it there? I'm hesitating. I'm waiting. I'm waiting because I want people to see this. Please, is it there? I guess not. Let me repeat it. God loves us exactly as we are, but he loves us so much that he'll not let us stay that way. Soul Sanctuary was birthed out of a dream of how we can communicate the message of Jesus to people who want nothing to do with it, really. A place to provide refuge for people who need it. Maybe you're one of those people who have said, I've, Jerry, I've checked out a long time ago. I've checked out a church. But maybe now you're trying to listen. See, there's a, a humility that comes with studying and going on a journey. And we're not the first people to ask questions about faith or to struggle with what we're struggling with. We're not the first, but today is a new day. We're in a new world, so we're asking questions in a new setting. And so deep in the center of Soul Sanctuary is this divine DNA of where God is speaking to people and he's asking us to talk with people, to serve and to love people, to model God's love and tell people about Jesus and to celebrate him and keep on moving. And we started Soul because we believe that every church has to ask the question of what does it look like for us to be the church here and now in Winnipeg? And we are relational beings. We need each other. And it's so ironic when I hear believers say, I don't need to go to church every week. Well, just read the articles that talk about the benefit of regular church attendance. I shared this before. And if you haven't heard, I just want to encourage you to hold on to your chair. Because society tells us how important regular church attendance is. This is crazy. And I didn't make any of this up. You know, if you go to church regularly, you're 22% less likely to be clinically depressed. The more likely you manage your life and your time better if you attend. If you regularly attend church, you're more likely to complete degrees and to achieve other academic milestones. And you're likely to have increased uh, mental well-being. As if this wasn't enough, regular church attendees live significantly longer than the general population, 7 to 14 years longer than non-religious people. Also, regular church attendees find that their marriages are stronger and the more you're more likely to have orgasms and high levels of sexual satisfaction in your relationships. Welcome to Seoul. <laughs> I had to get one more sexual comment in before six months had gone by. You know, with that stat, this place should be packed every day. 
Merely believing in the value of church attendance isn't enough. It says actually only those who actually attend who are active participants regularly experience many of these benefits. And some of the benefits are shown to increase with more frequent attendance. Where'd you get that? Well, stuff like uh, New York Times, Huffington Post, and many other articles have given us all those stats. And so what I'm suggesting is this. What if the Bible is true? What if the Bible is true? I see a church not as it is, but I see a church as it will be. And there is so much potential and benefits if we just take it seriously. What would it look like if Christians followed Jesus and not just believed in Jesus? See, God is not interested in making you religious. God is interested in making you new from the inside out. And as I said earlier, God's favor rests on his church. And we should be uniting around the idea that no matter what, let's come together. Let's agree that God has a plan and that it's a plan A. There is no plan B. And we see it as beginning for, for us here at Seoul as refuge. A place to come to experience the safety of God. And so we gather and for many it is refuge. But there's a second component and that's repair. And as I said, we acknowledge the fact that everybody's on a spiritual journey. Not everybody's on the same path. But from the beginning, we've been committed to becoming a safe place where you can bring your friends and family members. And some of you have done that today. A safe place filled with real people who could talk about real problems, real hurts, real hang-ups, real habits. And not blown away by judgment or condemnation. But we're a family of fellow strugglers. There's not one person in this room that has it all together. Unless somebody wants to put up their hand. Anybody? I'd love to see that person. We're all weak in different areas. And we all need each other. In fact, we need each other because we become mirrors to reveal each other's hurts and to help each other. And many times others see things that maybe I don't see, and vice versa. And people who need refuge know that they can come here, that they can sit and hide if they need to. But refuge is just the beginning. And since change and life transformation is assumed here at Seoul, there's also the next step that we call repair. And you see, we just can't come and sit in our stuff. We need to get up. We need to move out of it. We need to get help. We need to get cleaned up. And it's a process that we call repair, but theologians in Scripture calls it sanctification. And sanctification is the act or the process of being made or becoming holy. It is where change is actually assumed. So when we become believers, change is assumed. When we encounter God, change in our lives begins to take place. And for some, change is instant. And for others, it's a gradual process. But change occurs nonetheless. So let's be honest. Many people don't like change. And yet God wants us to change for his best. And so we're a faith community that helps people grow in their relationship with Jesus and others. And repair is a huge part of it. All of us here, there's pain, there's baggage, there are needs that need to be dealt with. 
And at this stage, many people need to allow the Holy Spirit to repair the areas of brokenness that may be in our lives. But they just maybe don't know how. And so what do we do? So many times we come and we sit in our stuff and we quietly suffer. But at soul, we want people to be whole and healthy people who have looked at our wounds and stared them in the face. And we begin to make peace with God and who we are in spite of what we have gone through. However, many people have hid their pain. They have not maybe properly addressed the deep emotional and spiritual wounds in their lives. And, and because they hide that, and then they haven't experienced true healing and life transformation that Jesus offers. And that is why we're always saying, come to the cross, go to life group, come talk to pastor ministry, go see Sharon for therapy, whatever it would take to get better, to get repaired. So here's a train of thought. Our universe is out of whack. Our world's crazy. And that's not the way that God created it to be. And it has some serious issues. And so Jesus comes and he lives amongst us. And he dies on a cross. And through his death and resurrection, he reconciles us to God. And Paul writes in the New Testament that on the cross, as Jesus shed his blood, this was God's way of putting everything back together again. And so there's this giant cosmic idea of a God who wants to put the world back together because it has fallen and has broken. And this is God's intention. But our question, as it is with everyone throughout our lifetime, is, is it always going to be like this? And the writers of Scripture come from a long tradition of people who said, no, it's not always going to be like this. God's intent and plan is to put the whole thing back together. And it's on the cross that something huge is happening. And in this giant repairing and restoring. And Paul builds on this huge, giant, cosmic idea in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And he writes, once you. That's actually a plural right there. Once you is plural, but it's also individual. So put your name in there. Once you, Jerry. We're alienated from God and we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So what he's saying is that our sin has put a giant chasm between us and God. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in his whole, in his, holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what Paul's saying is, hey, hey, you, the same things that God wants to do in this giant universe, he wants to do with you individually. He wants to put you back together. He wants to repair that which was broken. And he wants to put you back together so that you're not all broken and that you're not all busted up. And the word he uses, like I said, is reconciled. It's a huge word. As a matter of fact, I put the Greek word on the screen for you to take a look at. Apokatalaso. Do we not have PowerPoint? I can't tell where I am. Yes or no? We do? Okay, keep it up on the screen, please. The word that he uses here is called apokatalaso. 
We use this word in regular conversation all the time. Tomorrow, when you go to work at coffee break, somebody says, what do you do? What did you do yesterday? And you just say, well, I was doing a little apple catalasso at Soul Sanctuary. It's just a normal part of our language, right? But what it means is this. It means to make peace where there was no peace before. To bring into existence a relationship where there was none before. Did you hear what I said? To make peace where there was no peace before and to bring in a relationship where there was none before. And so God's intention is to put this universe back together to bring us each into a relationship of peace with himself. And God wants to put everything back together and that means you and me. And many of us feel like puzzle pieces, right? Scrambled in a box. Now when Paul's writing, he's talking about the gospel which is known as salvation. And this salvation he's talking about is holistic. It means all of us. It's the physical, it's the psychological, it's the spiritual aspects of life and, and sees them all closely interconnected. It's our heart, our emotions, our will, our mind, our intellect, our past wounds, our failures, our worries, our anxieties, our addictions, the things that keep us awake at night. It's our compulsions, the struggles we have. It's the whole thing. And God wants to put every last part of us back together so that every aspect of my being can have peace with God. And so often, many bring so much stuff into this place. And the scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And yet we don't feel free. We feel weighted. We feel burdened down. But our intent here at Soul is to help people, really is to help all of us in this ongoing work of being a better person of who Jesus created us to be. Like, who wants to be a better person? I think we all do. I want to be better. How much better would our world be if we all took some time to allow ourselves to be put together or repaired the right way? And with scripture as our blueprint, we walk on the road of repair. And I'm convinced that the scriptures and Jesus are the key of living a full life. And in a group this size, there's a list of some of the things that affect us on a daily basis. Overworking, overeating, undereating, alcohol, drugs, overspending, grief, guilt, anger, rage, fear, anxiety, divorce, abuse. Sexual addictions, codependency, insecurity, perfectionism, hypochondria, hurtful relationships, gambling, lying, procrastination. I might get to that next week. The need to control. Does it sound familiar? And I'm sure I'm missing more. And sometimes the things that we deal with are subtle and in the background. And other times the things that we deal with are like storms and they catch us off guard, right? The fact is every one of us has storms. We see them coming. Other storms catch us off guard. In fact, for you, many of you this morning, the clouds maybe have already gathered and some of you, perhaps, you might be in the worst storm of your life right now. But I want you to realize everyone has them. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, He causes the sun to rise 
on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so you can see storms and problems and difficulties and trials come to all of us. There's no exclusion. Nobody is immune. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're going to be excluded from the storms of life. And also some storms come because we're out of God's will. Example of that from the Bible is Jonah who deliberately disobeyed God's will in the Bible. God sends a great wind when he was out on the boat. The rest is history. But it's possible that the storm that you're encountering in your life today is caused by your own disobedience. That's the hard message of the gospel. You made some bad choices and now you're suffering the consequences. Some storms come because we're in God's will. You ever thought about that? Some people go, no, I never thought about that. Because we don't want to hear that. Just because you're encountering a storm in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God or that you're willfully disobeying Him. In fact, there are beautiful examples in scriptures, and we went through some of these. Remember when Jesus made His disciples get in a boat and He told them to go across the lake? What happened? They found themselves in a nasty storm and they were deathly terrified. And here they are, these, these, these fishermen. These guys who have been on the sea before, they know what's coming up. And, and Jesus is the one who puts them in the boat. And Jesus is the one who told them to go to the middle of the lake. And here they are, right in the middle of God's will. And they're caught in a storm of their life. Great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, When God allows us to be put into the furnace... He goes with us. Do you see it? I share with you that because I know a lot of wonderful people who really do love God, who really do obey God. And yet because of life's uncertainties, because of the sin of this earth, life has thrown them a tough blow. And when we have a difficult time, we have to have our feet on the ground and we have to understand that storms happen to people in the will of God as well as outside the will of God. And no matter what storm you may be going through right now in your life, Jesus is able to speak to your storm and actually bring peace into your life. You may be going through storms at home or your family, your marriage, your health, your job, your finances, your children, maybe at school or wherever. All of us face storms in our lives one way or another. But we have a Savior in Jesus who's able to speak to those storms and bring peace into your life. And all you need to do is call on Him and trust Him to calm the storm that you're in. Call on Jesus And he can work it out. He's the one who basically says to us, I can see you're being afraid in the storm alone. But if you were walking alone, if you were doing life alone, I understand that. But you are not alone. I am with you always and I'll never leave you. So repair begins when we regularly gather together for worship and prayer and where we need each other. And as we gather, the more we see the the power of God both in the Bible and the experiences of the believers around us and in our own lives. And when that happens, our confidence begins to grow. Because we'll always struggle with fears in this life because the world is not a safe place. But gradually, as we learn more about faith, as the disciples did over several years, we'll become more bolder and more confident in God himself. Matter of fact, look at the confidence of the disciples in Acts chapter 2 to 4. 
They go from chickens hiding, hiding after Jesus was crucified to spreading the gospel and the good news of his resurrection around the world. But building faith is a process. And so we have to be patient and we have to continue to develop it. And God wants to write a comeback story with your life. And grace comes as an eraser. And some of you need to hear that today. There's hope on the other side of your storm. God's not interested in making you religious. He's interested in making you new. Never place a period where God has placed a comma. He's not done yet. Finally, there's a rejuvenation. And rejuvenation is the action of rejuvenating or the state of being rejuvenated, restoration of youthful vigor, uh, to renew or to uplift, to feel good. Yeah. How does that happen? We want to be a church that's known for its love. We want to be a church that is known for friendship and community. And we try to do this by teaching the ancient truths of the Bible consistently in life and in word. And simply put, we desire to be the real with ourselves. We desire to be real with others. And we desire to be real with God. And I believe we saw rejuvenation by the way this community responded last week to the need of a recent widow. I see it all the time in people. When God has shown up and answered prayers, you see it on their face, you hear it in their voice, where God has begun to move in people's lives in a mighty, unexpected way. That's rejuvenation. And I truly believe that we have every resource we need to reach people that God has called us to reach in this city. And I believe that God has placed soul sanctuary in the city and that we, you and I, are responsible to reach it for Jesus However, we can. And this is the good news from Jesus that it's life transforming, that it's invigorating, that it's rejuvenating. And we're called as individual believers to share it and spread it. But we also need to realize that we're in this together. The church and all that we do as a church is not about you. Well, I like this type of music, or I like this, or I like that. or It's not about you. Romans 12 tells us, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves, keeping your spiritual fervor while serving the Lord. It's not about you. If it was about me, we would never have country music played on this stage, ever. That's the devil's music. You should know that. The devil went down to Georgia, right? Where's country music from? See, birthplace. There it is. That's my theological leaning this morning. So people look at me. Oh, you let them play country music? It's not about me. Someday it might be, but not now. Being devoted means to be a part of real relationship, being committed to each other. And when I'm committed, I want to see somebody, I, I want to see them improve, that we're in it together, that when they hurt, I hurt. When they're excited, I'm excited. And part of being devoted means being connected. You have to take a risk. You have to step out. And so where does all this lead us today? Well.
We see Seoul as a community that helps people grow in their relationship with Jesus and each other. Love God, love each other, see God at work, and then we begin to pull it all together. We see the effects, and that's rejuvenation. Now, speaking of rejuvenation, recently our steering committee, which is the leadership that I am accountable, made the decision to encourage me to go on sabbatical. I've been pastoring this church for 19 years, and they felt it was important that I be temporarily relieved of my duties, both routine and emergency, and have encouraged me to focus solely on personal rest, spiritual rejuvenation, and professional growth. And the reason for this is simple. To pro proactively protect and care for me in hopes of increasing my longevity, both in ministry and for our staff. According to the statistics from Barna Research, focus on the family in Fuller Seminary, about 1,500 pastors leave the ministry positions each month because they're burnt out, there's moral failures, there's other issues within the church. 80% of pastors feel discouraged in their roles. 50% of pastors say that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. 80% of seminary and Bible school graduates leave the ministry within the first five years, and 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. Only one out of 10 pastors retire as a pastor. Those are crazy stats. You want to know why? Because people are crazy, and we deal with people every day. <laughs> Just saying. Didn't expect that from me, did you? Take a look at your neighbor and say, you're nuts. <laughs> it's because we deal with people. But it's deeper than that. Because our battle is not flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. And as we know from scripture, the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so sometimes, those in positions of faith and positions of leadership have a target on them. Now, hear my heart. I'm not sharing these stats so that you would whine or, or think I'm whining or complaining about how tough it is to be a pastor. I love my job. I love my calling. I love my ministry, whatever you want to call it. As a matter of fact, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. We've had the op opportunity to serve in other areas, even to go into teaching and stuff like that. And I said, no, I just want to be in the trench. And your encouragement... And your support, make it a joy and a blessing to serve as your pastor. And our staff knows how good we have it here because you people are truly amazing. You are. And Sharon and I love this church with all of our hearts. However, it's still important to me and to our leadership that they proactively care for us as pastors to ensure personal, spiritual, and emotional health so that we can lead and shepherd in a way that honors God and helps you. If you remember, it was a steering committee who suggested I go get therapy after coming back from Ukraine in October, after what I saw and what I heard. Because I couldn't put it where it needed to go. And I struggled. And subsequently, I've recovered from that. My therapist looked at me and said, why are you back again? I thought your last time was the last time. I said, because I'm going on sabbatical. I need to talk it through. So here are six reasons why I'm taking a sabbatical. Number one, rest. 
God is very serious about rest, but unfortunately, I am not very good at it. Out of all the Ten Commandments, Sabbath is the one we church folks break the most often, especially pastors. So a sabbatical gives me space to rest, to be quiet, to breathe deep for a long time. And it is, to me, it's a long time. See, an evening on the couch isn't rest, it's catching your breath. A week at the beach isn't rest, it's a retreat. Deep rest takes place over a long period of time. And a colleague told me of this when I asked him. He said for his first three days of his sabbatical, he did absolutely nothing but sleep and stared at a campfire. He was in desperate need of rest. And so this alone was reason enough to take a sabbatical. And so during my first month off, I will read a number of books. I'll be writing a book. Not to mention Sherry, Sherry, Sharon has a honey-do list. Don't you? You have a honey-do list for me, don't you? Yeah. I'll buy pizza for anybody who comes to my house. John Ortberg, in his book, Soul Keeping, he wrote this. He said, the capacity to do nothing is actually evidence of a lot of spiritual growth. I had to admit that I, I actually I need that kind of growth. Number two, I want to release burdens. Ministry is heavy. And as a pastor, we carry burdens for caring for a flock. I met with people yesterday. I'm dealing with emails right up till today. But every hospital visit or every funeral, every family grieving a death, every couple going through a divorce, every parent with a wayward child adds to your load. We carry it. It's like carrying an overstuffed backpack on our bags, full of hopes, full of hurt, full of hurry. And sure, we know that God is the provider. We know he's the sustainer, but you still carry burdens. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be a caring pastor. And so sabbatical will give me a chance to take off the backpack and lay other people's burdens down. And it's a time to have respite from the relentless demands of Sundays as well as other days of the week. Reconnect with loved ones. Ministry can pull families apart. It only takes a look at the parade of high-profile burnouts to know it's true. Too often, pastors give of themselves to help other families, and they have very little left for their own. So sabbatical is an opportunity to reconnect with the closest to me in deep ways. So during my sabbatical, Sharon and I will be going to a conference together. We'll be visiting some of our ministry partners, as well as spending time at the lake with each other, but also our kids and our grandkids. My grandpa daycare will not be taking a break during my, I actually think it's probably going to increase and it's going to look a little bit different. But again, sabbatical can be a tool to strengthen relationships with those that we love the most. Also disconnecting from technology. Uh, see, you don't know, but my phone is, is always on me. As a matter of fact, my messages light up and I know what's going on when the PowerPoint's not coming on and I'm preaching and I'm reading everything at the same time. I'm able to do that. Oh, that was a beautiful, like you just did it nicely. That was perfect. <laughs> do it again. Come on, it gives me shivers. Technology robs us to our hyper-connected style. 
And our devices, honestly, we all know this, they're leashes. And so they keep us, we're constantly tethered to, to ministry needs. In the modern world, real rest means breaking those connections for a time. And so my church email will be disabled. My church telegram, WhatsApp, Slack as well is all coming off my phone. I'm considering refraining from posting on social media while on sabbatical. Notice the word I said, considering. I hope to find myself going for long stretches of time without checking my phone to only anger my wife. But really, I'm plugging my phone. Travel. I said we're doing some travel, and I'm a believer in the importance of travel, and nothing gets us out of our ruts better than for me personally than getting out of town. And a trip can give me a new perspective on my life, on my relationships, on my calling, and my life, and my family look different from the vantage point of a sidewalk cafe in another country. Just being honest. Who knows? Maybe a new perspective might be just what my ministry needs as well. The travel. And tinker. There's something refreshing about tinkering. I can't sit still. My wife drives her crazy. I'm always tinkering, tampering with something. But now I can do it without a deadline. And I can actually get things done. And it's a good way to clear my mind and to open myself up to a more peaceful approach to the day. Like I said, Sharon has a to-do list for me. And I have a tinker list of my own. And for me, part of that tinker will be writing a book. And whether, you know, I have a goal as to how many pages, what it's going to look like, what it's about that you may never see, or it's going to be a bestseller. I haven't figured that out yet. But finally, let me offer you a bonus reason that I'm taking sabbatical. It's countercultural. In a society that's driven by success and wealth and consumerism, it's an act of faith and witness to stop production. And it's a reminder to the world and to me that I am not God and the weight of the world is not on my shoulders. I am doing things on the sabbatical that I love to do. I told our leadership that there's no way that I could just stop and do nothing because it would kill me. My friends are in this church. You are not going to be ignored. Just don't talk to me about church. We're going to visit ministry partners in Eastern Europe. We will be doing ministry because that gives me life. So that's part of the ministry. So it's not like a vacation. It's doing life. The place that I'll struggle is what I carry with Ukraine. But that's me. My value and my identity is not found in what I produce. Instead, when I leave behind my calendar, when I leave behind my appointments, when I declare that God is in control, He is the one who doesn't sleep or slumber, whom I can trust with my needs and my future, and He holds the world. And I am reminded that He created the world in six days, right before He took 
a sabbatical. So starting this week, I'll be gone for about five to six months. I'll be in the office tomorrow to clear up all my administration. My amazing staff will take care of all the day-to-day stuff like they normally do and have been doing. We've already scheduled speakers for our Sunday. We've already picked some great life lesson series that will challenge and grow you while I am gone. And I expect to see change when I come back. So what you can do for me while I'm gone is pray. And if the steering committee could come up, pray that Sharon and I would, we'd actually greatly appreciate your prayers in the coming weeks. And here's a few ways that you can pray and you can write it down. Pray that my time with God will be refreshing and invigorating. And my prayer is that I would come back spiritually rejuvenated, having received from God some fresh insight, some vision for the future of our church and pray that my time with him will give me new insight and perspective, helping me to love him more deeply and to become a better leader in all aspects of ministry. Pray that my family can rest and make memories together. I pray that not only uh, we benefit from our sabbatical time, but my family benefits from it as well. I love my kids, my boys and my girls. I love my grandkids. So pray that we make the best of our use of time together, that the normal stresses of life can be put on hold and our time together can be enjoyable, life-giving, full of lasting memories. And I pray that, uh, and I ask you to pray that the Soul Sanctuary staff leads strong in my absence. I don't worry about this one bit, believe it or not. I have an amazing staff team who is clear on mission, who is clear on values, enabling them to make smart decisions just fine without me. I'm just a control freak. That's it. Amen. Did I invite you? (laughs) But I ask that you would pray for their strength, for wisdom, for discernment and leadership while I'm away and that you'd pray that God would grant them courage to lead strong. And I want to thank you finally for all your support and encouragement. And I can't tell you how much it means to us. And it's a true joy and honor to be your pastor. And I can't wait to see what God has in store for the future of Seoul. We love you. Deb. So they gave me a mic. That's dangerous. This is Deb. She is one of, you have been with us from the very beginning on our leadership team. And I'm going to tell a little story about that <laughs> before we start. So my husband, Paul, and I grew up, I'll just hang on to that, thanks, um, grew up in a different church than this, obviously, and we've been in that church for our whole lives, and we were committed and invested there um, and very involved, and then out of the blue we suddenly didn't feel at home in our home church anymore. And we didn't know why, nothing had happened. We just didn't feel at home. It was like God was shaking this nest and we were being kind of pushed out of it, but we didn't know where to go. So we started over the summer attending various churches on Sunday mornings say, God, is this where you want us? Is this where you want us? Is this where you want us? And nothing felt right. And then somehow a copy 
of a draft of a doctoral thesis ended up in my hands. And I read it and it was home. And I phoned up Jerry and I said, is this just a paper or are you doing this? Because if you're doing this, we're in 100%. And here we are today. And it has been a wild ride. That's an understatement. <laughs> there have been ups and downs. There have been times that this group of people have stared wide-eyed at each other and went, hang on. Did you actually say that out loud in that setting? <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> and there have been times that we have stood amazed as we see what God has done in this church. And so I feel very honored and very privileged um, when they asked if I would come and pray for you guys today. I was just like, I said to Paul, I said, I can't think of anything I would rather do. So I feel very honored to pray for you guys today. Thank you. All right. All right, you guys can gather around here. God, I thank you for Soul Sanctuary. I thank you for what this church means to this group of people on the stage, to this group of people sitting with us, to this community, to this city. And Lord, though it was Jerry's vision, it was not his alone. It was a vision that you placed in his heart to carry out your purpose. And so, Lord, we know that as you have showed up so many times, you will continue to show up because this is your church. It is not Jerry and Sharon's church. It is your church. And we just thank you. And so, Lord, as you do so many times for great leaders, you pull them away from what they are used to and what they've been doing so that you can prepare them for the next season of life. You pulled Moses away and you made him a shepherd in the desert so that he could lead the greatest exodus ever known. You took David and you made him roam around the lands that would be his own kingdom someday as he ran from Saul to prepare him to be king. You took Joseph away from his family and you prepared him so that he could one day save the entire nation of Israel. And so, Lord, we look and we know that this is how you work. Your ways are higher than our ways. That sometimes your path seems so tangential and you're like, why are we doing this? And why are we going this direction? But it's your path. And so I thank you that we are allowed to be part of it. For this church, as Jerry is away, we ask for your continued presence to lead us. As Moses said, if you do not go with us, then do not take us from here. So Lord, we need your presence to guide us, to be with us every day, every Sunday, and throughout the days in between. You've promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. You promised that upon this rock, you would build your church and that the gates of hell will not stand against it. And we claim that promise today for this church for the next six months and beyond that we would continue to be the force for you in our city. Lord, for Jerry, prepare him for whatever great adventure you have next for him because we know there is another one. And I pray that you would prepare him for it. First, Lord, give him the rest that he so desperately needs. You promised 
all you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. So we pray for that rest for him. You said, be still and know that I am God. So I pray, Lord, that you would help him to be still, to stop preparing, to stop planning, to stop everything, to just stop and be still and let him know in the depths of his being that you are God and let him hear your heart. Lord, I pray that you would give him a new and greater yearning for you that as the psalmist says as the deer pants for water so my soul longs for you let his soul long for you and then you promise that all those who hunger and thirst after righteousness they will be filled so i pray that you would fill him so that when he comes back he is so overflowing that it just exudes out of him to all of us for the next chapter and Lord, for Sharon, I pray that you would give her strength and wisdom to continue to be the support that Jerry needs to be his companion in this next chapter. And I pray that you would also let her reap the blessings of this sabbatical. Let his peace be hers and let his joy be hers. Lord, we just thank you that you are in control we release Jerry to you for the next six months. And we thank you that you will have a wonderful future for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Stand with me, please. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here's my blessing to you until we meet again. Soul Sanctuary, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, may God make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. May he walk beside you to comfort you. May he walk above you to watch over you. May he walk behind you to keep you safe. And may he walk before you to show you the way. May you, my friends, this week go out and rejuvenate Winnipeg in specific and tangible ways. May his peace be with you. Now go and live the church and be blessed. Amen. See you in a bit.